you to think today about when you were a child and the types of things, the type of person that you wanted to be when you grew up. What kind of dreams did you have? What were the things, the ambitions that motivated you? What did you want to be when you grew up? For some of you, you'll say, I wanted to be a policeman. For others of you, you'll say, I wanted to be in the Army, or I wanted to be in the Marine Corps, I wanted to be in the Air Force, or whatever it might be. I wanted to be a fireman. I want to be a construction worker because you like those big trucks. What did you want to be? I guarantee you, with whatever dream that you had, none of you said, well, I want to be in prison one day. None of you, none of you said, I want to be a murderer when I grow up. None of you said, I want to be a thief when I grow up. None of you said, I want to be an adulterer when I grow up. None of you said, I want to get married and get a divorce when I grow up. And the truth of the matter is that no one in this universe, when they're asked as a child what their dreams are, no one ever, ever dreams to self-destruct. No one ever dreams to take a course of action or to be involved in something that's going to make them self-destruct. But you look in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. The narrow and wide gates. Now we have heard this, we've, we've seen it before, most of us, and... For most of us, we just kind of gloss over it because by the time we get to Matthew chapter 7, we've already walked down the aisle, we've prayed the right prayer, we've been baptized, and we've been kind of inducted and indoctrinated into the life of the church. And so we just kind of skip over the reality, the narrow and the wide gates. And we just kind of say, well, you know, I don't know how to really explain it, but we'll go with it. Look at verse 13 and 14 with me. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. And then verse 14. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and few find it. No one in their beginning plans a journey or a path of destruction. No one sets out on the life journey to be overwhelmed, to become depressed and oppressed and everything else in between. No one plans to eat the garbage out of the pig trough like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. No one plans to have a life that's less than what I've often called the hallmark dream. No. We all plan to have a good life. Prince Charming plans to marry a princess. We plan to live in a castle. As a child, we don't know what taxes are. When I grew up, of course this generation is a little bit different, but when I was growing up, if we couldn't afford something, I would just tell my parents, we'll write a check. Just write a check. Now it's just scan the card. 
No one told me when I was a child. You know, as a child, you have these big dreams. We can do anything. When I was in third grade, my dream was to own a mansion. Didn't know what that mansion would look like, but I wanted a mansion. I wanted a mansion, and the only thing that I could come up with, the only place I'd have visited that was as big as I wanted was Biltmore. That's what I wanted. And apple doesn't fall far from the tree because when we visited Biltmore a couple years ago with my son, Anderson says, Daddy, I'd like to live here. <laughs> yeah, I would too. Um, no, and, and, and so if, if you go back and you look at things that I wrote about when I was in third and fourth grade as an as a elementary student, and you see the pictures that I drew, every picture that I drew had a big house, and it had, I mean, I don't know why, I have this vivid imagery of what I have, but a, a big house, uh, bigger than anybody else's, and the driveway that went to that house, it had, it had brick-covered bridges on the way, the driveway. It was a massive driveway, and I always would draw a limousine out front. It was my dream to own a limousine. And listen, when I got to ride a limousine when my grandfather died, I thought that was the coolest thing. Now, I mean, step aside from the funeral, but I mean, in the reality, in second grade, what do you know? My, I mean, to be able to be in that black limousine. And listen, when the president came to Charlotte and his limo was flown in two weeks prior to his arrival, listen, it was a big deal to get to ride in that presidential limousine back in the late 80s. You wouldn't get to do that today. It was a big deal to be able to go on Air Force One. And then suddenly I got to this envision and I was like, gosh, I'd like to have a jet too. That'd be cool. I'm still waiting on the First Baptist corporate jet, you know. I'm still waiting on that unlimited expense account. So far, finance has not given me that opportunity, maybe in the future. But as a child, my dreams, my ambitions, it was always good things. I, I didn't focus on good things at the disenfranchisement of other people. It wasn't that I wished that I was better and I wished horrible things on other people. I just wanted well, I'm like a lot of you this week that went and you purchased a lottery ticket. Yeah, I've been questioned this week, what do I think about the lottery? I myself have not purchased a lottery ticket, uh, but uh, this, is my, this is my philosophy. If you play the lottery, you need to play the lottery out of money that you don't need. Okay? You need to play the lottery out of the money you don't need. And if you win and you're concerned about whether First Baptist Church will receive the funding... Here is my statement of that. The devil has had the money long enough. It's about time it's come back home. So when the lottery goes to, as I was told this morning, $1.2 billion possibly later this week, just remember if you win, remember, remember, remember First Baptist Church. We will be more than happy to have the Lord to get that money back. No one plans to self-destruct. We have these dreams and we have these ambitions. And some of you have rationalized yourself into purchasing a lottery ticket or whatever it might be in the hopes that, gosh, the chance, the one in however many hundreds of million chances that is to win, with hopes you could get it. Oh, if you could just get it. Now, the federal government will take about 40%, but gosh, $600 million left over. Wow. What could I do with $600 million? I could buy Air Force One. <laughs> I could have, well, I probably couldn't have the Biltmore House, but I could build something 
It'd be big in Elizabethan. It'd be the talk of E-Town. I'm sure I'd make the front page of the star. No one plans to self-destruct. There are so many choices in life that lead us down to a road or down the road of destruction and pain and agony. And if I passed around a microphone this morning, you could talk about the difference between your childhood dreams and your adult reality. You could talk about the good things that you never anticipated happening and I would say to you that those are snippets of God's grace that have been realized in your life and maybe you never even recognized it before. But there would also be those other ventures, those other decisions, those other relationships, those other conversations that you never dreamed that you would have, you never thought that you would be in those particular predicaments. And now as you look back and hindsight is 2020, you can say, oh, that was a path that ultimately led to destruction. That was a path that ultimately led to agony and pain, either for you or for your family members or for your relationships or for your life. No one plans to self-destruct. And the reason I say self-destruct is this. You... And I make decisions. So where you are today, though you might have experienced trauma in your life that was shoveled upon you by someone else, we have the responsibility to accept whatever happens as a result of the choices we make. We self-destruct. We make Choices. Part of coming to Christ, part of recognizing who He is, is recognizing the decisions that you and I have made. It's about recognizing that we own our story. You don't buy your story. You don't inherit your story. You and I must own our story if we're going to be real with God. No matter how good it might be, no matter how bad it might be, and as much as I look at my own journey and my own life, there are snippets of my life, and, and, and Tabby knows this, there's things that I, would, you know, that I would love to be able to blame somebody else for. Well, I did this because, well, I wasn't showed this much affection here, I wasn't showed that much affection there, or, well, I had too much discipline in the home, or the umbilical cord was attached for too long in my childhood life, and so I'd never be able to expand my wings, what, blah, 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 blah. Own your story. Own your story. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Don't gloss over your story and make it more than what it is. But don't gloss over your story and make it less than what it is. Own your story. No one plans to self-destruct. The decisions and the journey that leads to destruction, the path that leads to destruction, it begins very small and it progresses to the point that our starting point and our ending point are miles and miles away from our dreams. Has that ever happened to you? 
Have you ever looked back at your life in a moment and you thought, how in the world did I get here? Let's, let, let's, let's break it down a little bit better. Let's say that you go get in your car, and I know some of you have experienced this. You go to get in your car, you've got a destination in mind where you want to go. And you get there, and when you park the car, you're like, gosh, I don't remember traveling by any of these places along the way. It's like you got in the car, and next thing you know, you're there. But you're miles and miles away from where you started. But you don't remember things along the journey. How many of you have ever experienced something like that? It's, it's kind of bizarre. It's kind of strange. Like, how many stoplights did I pass through? Huh, how many stoplights did I run that I didn't even acknowledge? Oftentimes, our starting point and our ending point are miles and miles apart of what we ever thought. And the journey in itself, we have a tendency, and since I'm, I, you know, there's a reason that God put me with a therapist. I needed one. Um, so I'm married to a therapist, and, and she tells me this all the time. So, yeah, I get free therapy. That's the advantage of living with a therapist. But she'll frequently tell me, uh, pay attention to the story that you tell yourself. You know, uh, only you. You have to own your story, but you have to be careful about what you choose to believe about your story. Don't let someone else determine what you believe about your story. Don't borrow somebody else's ideas about you and you own that. Own your story. Create your own narrative. Don't let somebody else alter you. You make the conscious decision. So we can't change anything about where we started we can't change anything about the journey that we've had. But we can change the journey that we will have. We can change the trajectory of where we're headed. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few Find it. You know, what really strikes me odd when you look at this verse 14, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many will enter through it. Small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Notice that the ending changes. Destruction, many will go through it. The pathway to life, only a few will ever find it. And here's the thing. What I'm thinking to do logically is this. There are few that will find the gate and the road that leads to life, let alone go through it. Do you see the difference? It's one thing to find the right way. It's one thing to know the right way. It's one thing to have a door that leads to life. It's a total another thing for you and I to go through it. Hmm. How many people who are curious about God, how many people kind of date the Lord, how many people try to date the church, how many people try to be all around the way that leads to life, but few will embrace it, few will surrender, few will ever enter it. And the Bible says, only a few find it. How many fewer actually enter that gate that leads to life? So that leads us to a time of rationalizing 
about what we do, we think about this and we think, gosh, you know, I hope that I've got all my ducks in the row. I want to make sure that I've got good fire insurance so that I don't spend eternity in hell. I want to make sure that, you know, everything is properly arranged for me spiritually. And so we try to focus on expanding the gate. And the reason we try to focus on expanding the gate is because we're compassionate. We know what hell we've been through. We know what we have experienced. And when we look out amongst other people, their pain, their suffering, their ailments, their depravity, their brokenness, their oppression, their depression, or whatever else they might have, everything else in between. We're sympathetic to that. And as people who often date Jesus and date the church, we are familiarized with the reality of what the gospel teaches and we know that in order to go to heaven, so to speak, and in order to have a relationship with Christ, we have to surrender our lives to Him and it's going to cost us everything. So as a way, as we look out with co-workers as we look out in our world and we see people that are not religious, we see people that aren't in church, that are good people. I mean, good people. And we think to ourselves, gosh, if he or she doesn't make it, there's no way I'm going to make it because they are so good and they're good to other people. And before we know it, we want to try to make a way for them to be included. We want the gospel to be inclusive of people that we know that don't know Jesus because we're compassionate. And so we spend our time thinking about how do we expand those gates? How do we bend those gates out of love because if God is love and His love is compassionate and His love has reached us and His love has compelled us and His love has opened our eyes because we've been dating Him and we've been dating the church and we see the wondrous works of God all around us, we want others to be able to experience that and so there's a tendency on our part to just get down and, and try to widen those gates to make room for other people. It's sort of like a person by the name of Jeffrey Wainwright, who many of you, you've probably never even heard that name, uh, maybe one or two in the room have. Jeffrey Wainwright was a professor of systematic theology uh, when I was in graduate school at Duke. And he was once president of the World Council of Churches, and his lectures were phenomenal. He was very straightforward, orthodox every step of the way, taught doctrine, all these things. And the last, listen, the last lecture of that semester, was on hell. And he began to teach, and he said these words. He said, for those of you who are typing, I want you to close your laptop. For those of you who are recording me, I want you to turn off the recorders. Because what I have to say is something that's very dear to me, and I have been moved emotionally and spiritually to be compassionate. And he said, all my life I've given to the study of God's Word and of Scripture's teaching. And I've tried to rack my brain around hell. 
and the consequences for eternity is that I was raised uh, in a church that hell is real, the fire is real, people are going to be there. He says, I look out at the world, I've traveled all over the world, I see the needs of people in desolate places, in people groups that have never heard the name of Christ, and I just cannot fathom them spending eternity in hell. See, widening the gates. And he says, so I believe, I've come to believe that there is a hell and that if you do not accept Christ, you will experience hell because not to know Christ is hell unto itself. He says, but I believe in the end of all ends of time that God will reconcile every single person on the face of the planet back to him whether or not they believed in Jesus. Well, I'm sitting there and I'm like, gosh, that sounds wonderful. I mean, does it not? I mean, does, really, does it not sound great? Everybody could be in. It sounds great. But it doesn't match this. There's a tendency for us to be emotionally moved in a variety of ways. But we cannot allow our emotions to trump this. Our emotions, our decisions, our behaviors, our attitudes, our beliefs must be shaped from the living word of God that we have found revealed in this book. Period. Everything that we do, every belief that we have must originate in the sovereign word of God. Because why? The word that is Christ has become flesh and it's moved into our neighborhood. And though there is a tendency on our part to make a way, God has already made the way. So I made an appointment with Dr. Wainwright, and I said, I listened to your lecture. I mean, we're talking about a man emotionally moved, crying at the podium because he's so, so wants to make a way where there seems to be no way. And I said to him, I understand what you said today. I, I too was emotionally moved because I know people that do not know Christ and they are good people and I pray for them and I want them to know Christ. And I said, but what scripture do you base your belief on? And he said these words. He said, that's why I had the recorders turned off. He said, I don't have a scripture other than God is love. And I can't support it with scripture, but I just don't believe in a God who will send people to hell. I believe there must be a way. And I said, but John 14, 6 says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That is truth that you can rest upon. So though we want to widen the gates, they're not our gates to widen. Though we want to make a way that appears to be no way, God has already made the way. God has already given us an opportunity. And so I plead with you, 
That instead of focusing on expanding the gates, instead of focusing on widening the road that leads to life, focus on expanding the gospel and its implication for people's lives. There are so many tempting parking places. There are so many good people in the world. There are so many good people here in Elizabethan and in Northeast Tennessee. But based on God's word, there will be good people that will spend their eternity separated from God. It's a reality. Instead of trying to erase what has been given, instead of trying to interpret something else out of the passage, just read it for what it is. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Our job, ladies and gentlemen, our job, if you want a, a, a modern illustration, our job as followers of Christ is first and foremost, quit dating Jesus and quit dating the church. Quit flirting with God and commit yourself to Him, first and foremost. Second of all, as you and I enter the road, enter the gate that leads to life, as we accept Christ into our lives, because that gate is small, because that road is narrow that leads to life, we need to do everything we can to make that doorway stick out. We need to put neon lights on it, blinking lights all around it. This is the way. We've got to point people to the way. So that they find it. We've got to quit making excuses for people. We've got to quit making excuses for ourselves. We've got to own our story and create a new narrative. And the new narrative that we must create is one that is synchronized with the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. Because when we do that, we will recognize it's not about how good or bad you are. It's about how great He is. We'll recognize it's not how many good things you did along the journey. It's not about finding the way. It's about entering the gate that leads to life. It's about commitment. Commitment on two fronts. One, our commitment to Jesus but far more important than our commitment to Jesus is God's commitment to us through Jesus. He promises never to leave us nor forsake us. So those of us who've been on a journey for a season of time and we feel alone, we feel battered and torn, and we feel distant from God, it's not because God's away from us. It's because we have moved away from Him. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. What road are you on? What journey have you gone down? And if you're one of those few that finds the road that leads to life, 
in modern terms, it's the magic lottery number. It's the Powerball all the way to the kingdom. If you're one of the few that finds it, are you going to be committed enough to go through it? Where are you on your journey? Are you on the broad road that leads to destruction? Are you on the narrow journey? Do you see the gate before you? What's your narrative? What's your story? Do you own it? Has your story become his? Let's pray. Lord, help us today to turn our eyes to you. God, give us the strength to stop managing the kingdom and to start serving the king. God, help us to quit making excuses for people. Help us to stop making excuses for ourselves and accept our place on the journey. Help us to create a new narrative in you. And if there's someone here who's on a path of self-destruction, if there's someone here who says, gosh, have mercy, my life has not turned out the way I dreamed. Welcome. Welcome to life. No one's life turns out the way they planned. But God has made a way through the person of Jesus Christ. And his hope and his love for you does not depend on what you do for him. His love and compassion for us does not depend on our status in our society. Does not depend on the good things that we do. It solely depends on what he's done through the person of Jesus Christ. It's not our own initiative. It's through Him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. If you've tried to believe in, if you've sought after another way, if you've thought in the end that you will have dotted your I and crossed your T enough to make it, then you are delusional. Because it's never about you. It's never about us. Father, if there's someone here today that needs to accept Christ, your Son Jesus Christ, for the first time, God, help them to know where they are on this journey. Help them to realize that you're there with them. Help them to quit making excuses and accept the truth of your son for their life. There's someone else here who has just really struggled, has really struggled with all kinds of things. And they just have been afraid of commitment. They have flirted with the church. They flirted with Christ. They've danced all around the gospel. They can recite it. They can repeat it. But they've never fully let go of control and surrendered to the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, Today, however, they say, I want more of him. I want to turn from where I am. I want to turn. I want to own my story. But more importantly, I want to pursue him 
I want to be on the narrow road that leads to life. I not only want to see where the gate of life is, I want to enter through it through Him and through Him alone. God, in this time of decision, as our hearts are heavy and the reality of our journey is real, help us to respond just simply by coming to you and saying, I'm ready, God. I'm ready. I'm ready. God, may we seek you in this place as we respond. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you need to trust in Christ, you need to recommit yourself to Him, you'd like to join this fellowship and this family, we welcome you to First Baptist Church. I'll be down here. If God is leading you, if He's directing you in this invitation, as we stand and as we sing, won't you respond, allowing your story to become His? Is there anyone else this morning that God has spoken to? Won't you respond? May these words that you sing be a reality for your life, not a dream, a reality.
be seated. Chris and Megan Price, and they come today to join First Baptist Church by statement. If you agree with their decision to join our family, will you dance in the aisle? You look out, you see the smiling faces, you see people that have great needs. You see people who have been in different, different places in life and different journey. Every single one of these individuals, including myself, has a story. And parts of that story are dark, and we don't focus on the dark. We focus on the goodness and the greatness of God because he separates the darkness from the light and in him there is no darkness. And so as we journey together in this family of faith, we look to the Son, we look to Christ, we seek his will, we seek his purpose. And our hope and our dream as I prayed for you today is that you would realize your giftedness, that as you become an integral part of the First Baptist family, that you'll use your gifts to advance his kingdom and that you and I can bring others the saving knowledge of Christ. It's Christ that does the saving. It's Christ that does the work. It's us who makes our opportunity to shine the neon light on the way, the truth, and the life. It's through Christ alone. God's in the business in amazing ways of doing amazing things in our lives and in the life of First Baptist Church. And as I continually say week after week, we've only just begun to see the first fruits of this journey. First fruits. So as you leave today, I hope you'll come by to encourage them uh, on this journey as they become an integral part of our church family. And that you might be encouraged this week, you might be encouraged this week to be equipped and empowered to do more than you ever thought or imagined. Your dreams are reality in Christ as we stand and as we close. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your greatness. We thank you for a church and a family that has been redeemed by Christ. God, we thank you for a God who knows our story, who knows the darkest points and the greatest moments. Lord, may we be defined by the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. Give us the strength through the course of this week, in school, at home, and at work, to be a light in the midst of the darkness, a hope to the hopeless, and a help to the helpless. And all God's people say, Amen.